Um, so we, at the beginning of the year, we kind of set the first 120 days as kind of like a runway for the year to really focus in on and to really kind of like just be intentional about what we're studying, about what we're talking about on the weekends, what we're talking about in our growth groups. Um, the equip classes have been strategic that we do on Saturday nights with teaching on scripture and on finances. And so it's been great. Today is day 70 of that 120. Can you believe that? We are well past the halfway point, and I'm excited because um, two weeks ago we talked, had Dave talk about Jesus first. Last week I talked about home first. Today I'm going to talk about the barriers to putting others first, the, the, the last part of our tagline, and I want us to really kind of like live in that, no pun intended, but I want us to live in that a little bit today. And so um, with that, I have a clip that I'm going to show you. This is a clip from for the Life of the World, which is a series, a seven-week series that the students are going through on Wednesday night. This clip is about two minutes long, and it's from the video that they saw this past Wednesday. And it's really kind of apropos in terms of where we want to go this morning. We're actually praying about what we want to offer on Saturday nights for the equipped classes ongoing. And maybe for the life of the world might be one that we consider for older students or adults because it is that powerful. So check out this clip and uh, take it in. Last night I had a pretty weird dream. Why don't you tell me about it? I was on television. I did not like it. And no matter how hard I tried, I could not escape myself. Myself, the whole world was a meal. Boom! And everything was all about me. We're trying to get out of here, were you? No! <laughs> no! And how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? Uh, you know, I kind of, uh, I kind of liked it at first. You know, I felt connected and I felt affirmed. But you know, it got kind of old. You know, maybe the world shouldn't be about me. Um, I just felt alone. I don't think you should feel that way. It's important to take care of yourself, to be true to the God within you. Go ahead. What? Just do it. Have it your way. Because you're worth it. You're in good hands. Steve, are you okay? I don't want to grow up. Oh. What a feeling. <laughs> oh my. Life's short. Hard. Taste the rainbow. <coughs> Think different. He who dies with the most toys flies the friendly skies. Taste the rainbow and relentless focus on you. Focus on you. Relentless focus on you. Relentless focus on you. So has anybody ever been there before? Have you ever uh, felt like maybe your life is uh, all about you? No, no one's going to raise their hand, right? Never, never, right? Um, maybe, I don't know if you guys have heard of the new uh, radio station, WeFM. It's Nintendo's new station. Has anybody heard of it? Anybody? It stands for What's In It For Me. It's not a real radio station. But we have it playing in our head a lot of times, right? What's in it for me? 
I mean, and I would say um, maybe, of course, we won't just necessarily present company excluded, but, you know, the vast American culture that we live within, they're listening to this radio station all day long. This is exactly what it's all about. It's what's in it for me. Um, maybe you uh, listened to that video and you heard that guy, uh, the guy with the beard, talk about and start reciting all the taglines, just do it, you know, um, taste the rainbow, all these things that are so me-centric. And this is, this is really uh, uh, an interesting perspective because when you um, are, it's probably what we are when we're at our worst, when even if we've given um, Jesus first place in our life, we can revert back to this fairly easily where we can start finding ourselves at the center of everything. Like everything that is about our life is all about us. The lens we look through life is about me, myself, and I, right? There's, there's this focus on me. There's this focus on me. And when you have that approach, and I would say the, the vast the culture that we are in is, is discipling us in that direction. That you are the most important thing in your life. That, that everything should be focused on you. And when you live like that, you begin to make some decisions. You begin to act in, as though you are an autonomous person. That you start to make decisions about your life in isolation. You don't really have any um, input necessary, but if the input is taken, it's well taken with a grain of salt, and as long as it supports where you're headed, you know, that's all good. And we have this approach to life sometimes, even if we put Jesus first. And even if we, we have connections, like we'll connect with groups, right? We'll connect maybe with a co-op or a, a recreation, you know, a team or maybe a church or our job. And we kind of look at those groups and the loyalty to those groups is always secondary to what's best for us. We almost use those groups to, we, we evaluate, like, why should I be a part of that group? Why should I be at that party? Why should I go to that meeting? Why should I go to church today? What's in it for me? What, what is it that I'm going to get out of this? And how do I advance myself because, and what is the good in this group that's going to allow me to get further? What's going to maximize my life based on what can I glean from being a part of this community? And this is our approach. I think something that um, illustrates that are three big questions in life. Three big questions. There's a lot, right? But definite three big questions. Number one, what am I supposed to do with my life? Right? What am I going to do with my life? That's a big question. Another question is, who am I going to do that life with? Who am I going to spend my life with? And then you've got the third question is, where am I going to spend my life? So the first question, what am I going to do with my life? Like if you're in college, like you're, you're trying to figure out your major. You're trying to like decide on what it's going to be, and then you change major 17 times between freshman and senior year, right? And you're constantly trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my life? And then who am I going to do that life with? And where? And so it's a geographic question at the end where you're saying, okay, where is the best job opportunity for me? Where can I have the most opportunity for my life? And we can see that even, you know, other questions I'm sure exist, but as time goes by, what ends up happening is all about I, never us, we, and our lens we look through is me, myself, and I, and always trying to see that. Um, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, I'll just be transparent with you as, you know, a church. It's, it's like all of our desire is to create community, to somehow have all of us deepen our connections with each other so that we can truly become a community. And I'll even throw down a family. But it's so hard. Like, it's so difficult to get, and I'll just talk me to you, it's so hard to get you guys to connect at a deeper level. Well, why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons why, and part of it is our culture that we live in. Number one, we are all custom building our lives on the fly. We're custom building. What do I mean? We're all kind of like deciding what job we want, and we're deciding where that job is going to be, or we're taking a job that's in a particular location. Um, many of us may commute downtown or far away from our house, and so we go downtown we get up early, like in the wintertime, we get up, it's dark, right? We open up the garage, we get out, we go to work, we come home, it's dark. 
We close the garage. We never talk to the neighbors. We don't even know who our neighbors are. Our connection to our neighborhood is simply the fact that we have a commute from A to B every day that we do. There isn't a whole lot more than that. And so we're custom building in that in that way, but we're also custom building from a recreation standpoint. So, I mean, if you're a parent, you know this. Like, there's so many things that the kids could be a part of, right? They can be a part of ballet or violin classes or, you know, dance classes. And then you've got, well, sports. You've got basketball, soccer, baseball, volleyball, badminton, you know, bags. I don't know. Like, there's a lot, right? There's just so many things. It's almost unlimited in terms of recreation. And all of us at the same time are kind of like picking the things that we like the best and we're custom building our lives. And then you have a, a, a cranky old place like Second Place coming in and saying, you know what, how about you get to, to this place on a Sunday morning or on a Saturday night? And we get about an hour, maybe a little over an hour with you. By the time we settle in and it's 11.30, we got about an hour together where we're going to talk about Jesus and we're discipling in a way. We're, we're trying to wrestle with the things and reminding ourselves of what this whole thing is all about, right? And we get about an hour to do that. And then for the other 167 hours of the week, you're being discipled by culture. You're being discipled by culture, and you're, you're, you're seeing this whole idea of WIIFM played out. Everybody you run into is listening to that station, and everybody is centered on themselves. And so how do we deepen that connection? It's a real trick. But then you have the whole idea of the fact that we're very transient, meaning that we're here for a season, and then we're gone. We're, we're here while we're in this area, maybe while we're going to school. Hey, man, we have, like, we praise God and we love the fact that the college door of opportunity has opened up. And we have embraced that. We love students. Absolutely love them. There's just one nagging thing is that y'all graduate or are supposed to, right? And, uh, and so then we see them here for a few years. If they catch on quick and they jump on and get in, then they're here for four years. And then we send them away. And we have alumni all over the country. It's amazing. I'm, I'm planning a trip, hopefully one day, all the way across. I'm going to just, just hang out with, like, be like, can I spend the night here? Awesome. Okay, can I spend the night here? Okay, cool. Awesome. I'm going to try to get to Anaheim, right? So th this is cool, but there's something to it that it's transient. So we're not here for very long. Maybe some of you know of people that have had the, have the opportunity of taking jobs in other locations, other states. Um, we love the fact that the Clavans now, with Kate, Kate's here, she's a, awesome, love it, but you guys are, they're, they're now gone in Moline doing their Chick-fil-A thing, which is amazing. But they're no longer a part here, and so it's hard to deepen a connection with someone who lives far away. We've had other people that get awesome job opportunities that move away. We have op opportunities like that all the time. It, it kind of just feeds into that difficulty of being able to connect at a deeper level. And then we, we just have people who you know that aren't here today because, well, I don't know, somebody said something cross to them and they're like, I don't really want to go there anymore. Or maybe they just weren't able to connect. There's something about the messiness of this community that is in every church that just makes it hard to connect and to deepen that connection. And so there's that transient nature. Then there's the whole idea of authority becomes a problem, right? So now the idea of, well, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, let's just throw this in here for a second. That, you know, the average family or the average person attends church about once a month. Um, is, is about the average. So if you were here last week and this week, you're good for two months. Um, but that's the average, and I see a lot of familiar faces, and that's really awesome. I believe that's a strong point of second place. But that makes it hard. And the authority piece is hard, too, when we're not super connected. It's kind of like, who's the guy on stage? What's his story? I'm not so sure I'm really on board with this guy. I need, I don't know. I'm only here once a month anyway. And then the idea of, you know, like studying the Bible becomes interesting when it comes to authority. So now we open up the Bible and we start to look through our lens and we say, hey, so what do I think this passage means to me? What does it say to me? You know, do I really want to do what this says or should I maybe get the old perforated Bible out and rip that page out and not pay attention to it? Do I really care about what the speaker's original intent was or what the context of that passage was or am I just going to look through my lens of what's in it for me? 
And then the idea of church discipline. Oh, time's out right now. Like, whoa. Like, are you going to tell me how to live my life now? Well, I mean, the idea of saying, hey, room of grace. Hey, we know that there's a struggle and that you're talking about it. Can we come around? Hey, whoa, don't, like, listen, I got it figured out. Just give me a second. That whole idea is very foreign. And then how many of you guys have been here? You guys are quiet. You guys ever been here for a baby dedication? You know, oh, you hold the baby up. or like, let us dedicate baby. And it's awesome, right? I mean, we pray, and then we're like, hey, guess what? Ha, ha, got you, parents. It's not about the baby. It's about you. And then we pray for the parents, and then that's really cool. And then there's this moment, right? So there's this moment where I'm like, hey, guess what? It's not just them. It's all of us. And then I say, hey, so here's this passage from Psalm. It's all about this generation teaching the next generation about the ways of God. Are you down with that? And everybody says, we are. And then you all say, we are. And then it's all cool. Like, oh, it's so good. You know, and the baby spits up, and it's all good. But then, little, like, Johnny, baby Johnny, he grows up, and he's four and then he's running in the back of the church, and he's starting to hang out and, like, like mess with the fire extinguisher. And then somebody that's not his parents says, oh, don't touch that fire extinguisher. And Johnny's parents are like, don't tell my kid what to do. Don't parent my child. Right? Anybody ever been there? Anybody been mildly offended when some other parent parents your child? Tell me I'm wrong. You know, you're, you know I'm right. So th- this, this happens. Why? Why is it that we say, yes, we will agree to help raise this child in the ways of the Lord, but when we see him with the extinguisher and being able, like playing with fire over here, lighting something up over there, I don't know, we're just going to look the other way. Well, we don't want to offend the parent. What, what is happening? Well, the reason is because our connections, our relational connections, what we all are really agreeing to are kind of weak. And so we're just not exactly sure, like, how somebody's going to talk to our child. We're not exactly sure what they're going to say. And then you, you have the idea that we have college students here and parents that entrust their college students to us. And we have parents come through every semester to kind of check it out and to make sure second place is okay. Why? Because there's a connection that needs to happen. So this is the world that we live in. This is the world that we live in. And I think the diagram is next. And so we have, um, you guys saw this last week. This is our very elaborate eight-year-old. You know, we, we um, drew this about eight years ago before the church started. And, you know, um, the stick man took me a while. It's all good. But this is the typical gospel message that we hear. And again, it's through the lens of me. So, man, it's all about you. Great place. Actually, this is a great way to share the, the gospel. It's not, a, it's not inappropriate. It's not that it's not important. There's a validity here. That it's all about you. That this is, this is your, God has designed you. Has, but then you're like, you know what? I'm kind of a mess. And I have screwed up a lot. And at some point, and we pray actually sooner than later, we hit rock bottom. And that's a good thing. Because then we're saying, I need a savior. I need a way out of this pit. And we say, is there any hope? And we're like, somebody says, Jesus. And Jesus has introduced to you the story, the redemption, the fact that he paid the debt you couldn't pay. And this is amazing. And you step over the line of faith and you put Jesus first. And now you know, we talked about last week, that we're going to now put Jesus at the center of our homes. And we're going to put him there. And our homes are going to be Christ-centered. They're going to feel and look different than the house next door who may not know about Jesus. And then when we have that Christ-centeredness at home, then we're able to take that to the world, and it's amazing. And this Haiti team is doing that. And how many of you know that it will be more difficult for the Haiti team to share the gospel, to share Jesus, and to share his love when it's not happening at home? It can be done, and God will move in that trip no matter what, no doubt, right? But it's just, you got to admit that it's going to be harder if there isn't a Christ-centeredness at home to share the gospel out in the world, right? So that's kind of like what we see, and there's definitely places to speak like that. But then you flip the diagram around, and now all of a sudden you see that honestly what it's all about is it's about creation. It's about the fact that God created everything, and he said that it was good, and that there is going to be a day that he comes back and he renews everything, and heaven and earth are going to come back together, and it's going to be awesome, and your family, my family, all of us are going to be renewed as well. It's going to be amazing. 
what's happening in our lives now is just a little taste of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back and makes it all brand new. It's going to be awesome. But then as he created that and said it was all good, he created the first home, Adam and Eve. And then the first family, and it was amazing. But boy, did they screw things up, right? And then we looked at that last week and how all the families that we looked at in Scripture are just totally jacked up. And so we, we knew, and God knew, that there needed to be a Messiah. There needed to be a Savior. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and redeems, and he pays that debt and realizes that you realize that he paid that debt for you. And when we look at it that way, we start, how do we get to a mindset that starts with others first rather than me first? When our lens and the only thing that we're taught outside these four walls is that it's all about you and that that lens is normal, how do we understand what God says about it? I'm going to need a couple of quick hands for Bibles. If you want a Bible, raise your hand. Um, it would be amazing for you to be able to look this up. You're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. It is not going to be on the screen. It is going to be something I would like for you to, to look up yourself. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2 first. Just raise your hand if you'd like one. Right here, Jim. Right there. Awesome. And so today is the first of three weeks. You can back up a couple. Um, we're going we're gonna to look at three barriers to putting others first. All right? The first barrier is individualism. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The second barrier is materialism. That'll be next week. And some of you are like, skipping. And then two weeks from today, we're going to talk about the third thing, the third barrier, which is consumerism. And it's so important for us to understand that there are barriers that are existing in our lives, in our culture, that cause us a difficulty in putting others first. And so today is about attacking what I just described for the last 10 minutes, that idea of me first. And so Ephesians is where we're going to turn to, and Ephesians 2 is where it's at. Um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. And before I do, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word. It is living and active, Lord God. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, it is it is ready to teach. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that we would be open to what you have to say to us today in regards to how we are putting others first and what that looks like. We thank you for what you're going to teach us in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name. So, Here's what it says in Ephesians 2. Now, remember, well, this is Paul. He's talking to the church in Ephesus, which was comprised of a lot of Gentiles, but they were also being kind of included into the Jewish family of believers in Christ. And so the Jews and the Gentiles were not always okay with each other, and there were some cultural divides, obviously, with that. And so he's taken the first chapter of Ephesians to kind of talk about the fact that we are all a part of the same group. We are a part of the same um, uh, together. We are all together. And so in verse 19, he's kind of speaking to this idea, and he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners. You are no longer Gentiles, outsiders, and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. And here, if you hear nothing else today, listen to these words. And also members of his household. Think about that for a second. When you put Jesus first and you ask him into your life and you begin to follow him, you the Holy Spirit comes in, you have the same spirit as any other believer, and you are a member of the family of God. Last week I said you're always a part of two families, your biological family and the family of God. You are a part, you're members of the household. Now how many of you know that there have been moments, not going to point fingers, when you have family dinner and that sibling of yours goes up and just chows down, doesn't say a word to anybody because they're mad about something, and then gets up and walks away. And they're like, what a jerk. But sometimes, sometimes we can have that attitude at church where you might come in, you might gobble up the message, you might gobble up the worship. Boy, that was good. I loved it. 
and you leave and don't say a word to anybody. It would be weird for your siblings to do that at the dinner table. It would, it's the same weirdness when that happens here. But we just talked about why it's hard. Because there's all kinds of things that are fighting against you connecting. All kinds of things. And so we're all part of that same household. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with who? Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, all of us, brothers and sisters, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So literally, I mean, this is the thing. This is the crossover right here. This is it. All right? What is the antidote? What is the way to remove the barrier, the obstacle of being all about me first? How do you get that out of your life? You have to live into the idea and the truth that we are all family. So that means good old Katie Brundage is my sister. What? Why is that so funny? It is kind of funny. Eric is my brother. Rachel is my sister. And if Rachel was having a struggle or going through something, and she was a part of our family, a healthy, biological, nuclear family, the way that you idealize it, that would be something that we would want to know. We would want to know what is the issue? Why is there a struggle? How can we help you? What is, what is it that we need to do? We come around that, right? Caleb, Caleb's my brother. If Caleb was celebrating something, right? Caleb was telling me, he gets confused for my son sometimes, but that's okay. But you're my brother, so if you were celebrating something, you're going to be celebrating graduating in just a couple months. And, and you celebrated that, but nobody celebrated with him. Like he had a birthday at home and nobody said anything. Or he had some great achievement and he went home and nobody said a word to him. It'd be weird. It's weird if we don't either. It's why we celebrate graduates. It's why we celebrate moments in lives. Because we are family, and it's so hard to get that. Linda, you're my sister. This is, this is weird to say that, right? Kate, I've only known you for, a, I don't know, a few weeks, right? You're my sister. And so we, we need to begin to live into that. But it's, it's hard to do that, right? Because life is messy, our community is messy, it doesn't always work out the way we think it should, but I think as we look at Scripture and we continue to look at that, so we know that the, the, the way to remove the barrier is to live into this idea that we're all family and that we, we want to see that. Because if we're not family, let me tell you, if we're not treating each other as brothers and sisters, right, we're going to have a hard time reaching out. Because those people that need to hear about Jesus, they're going to check this and they're going to know us by what? Our love for each other. And they're going to know whether or not we're living it as a family or not. And so we have to figure out, so how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, we have to look at Scripture and say, well, is there a pattern for how we're supposed to live? And what's the secret? Well, number one, we can look in Genesis and we see that God created man. It says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right here, God, in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creates something for themselves in themselves? No. They create something outside of themselves and give that, that something, that, that, that mankind, an outward focus of being about taking care of creation. So God is outward, man is outward. Then you go to Matthew and you see what Jesus says. And he first calls us out on, uh, to task and says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. 
That's all good, because that's, that's like us, and we're, we're starting to get, oh boy, that's coming at us. But here's what I want us to focus on in this passage. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we see God, outward. He creates man, man, outward, to take care of creation. Jesus shows up, outward. He's not here for himself. He's here to, to give his life as a ransom for many. Everything is outward. Outward, outward, outward. Turn to Philippians 2. And now we find out how do we live into this idea of being family and being outward focused. Philippians 2. Start, actually, yep, that's good. It's, it's, uh, so verse 1 is exactly where I want to start. And so this is, this is all about kind of like how to live as a family. He says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement, and that whole idea of if, if you have is really saying since you have, all right? That's kind of the original intent of that, is that since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, and since you have comfort from his love, and since you have a common sharing in the Spirit, and since you have tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So he's saying that there is a way that the family needs to operate, that there is something that we fight for that is not with each other, but it's for this idea of like-mindedness, that we're fighting for unity. We're fighting to stay together because we know that everything on the outside is trying to pull us apart. And so a little remark here, or something that doesn't go right there, or somebody that changes where the couch is this week because you had it in the perfect spot last week. These move around, chill out, like it's okay. Like all these little things that someday no one will remember are things that can get in there and divide us. And yet Paul's saying, hey, listen, you guys need to be thinking about this. You have the exact same spirit. You have the ability to be like-minded. You have the ability to live as brothers and sisters, just as real as your real brothers and sisters. He goes on to say this, and there must have been some issue with being like all up in, you know, about you, because he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Man, if we were doing a workout right now, I know you guys have your page, but man, if you were to just jot this down, like how many things do you do in a day out of vain conceit or selfish ambition? Let's make the list. Like, whoa, there's a whole lot, right? This is, this is not something you breeze by. But he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so here we start to unlock how we can start to live as a family, is when we start to live in humility and to value the interests of others above ourselves. It goes on to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And that verse 7 is, a, is one that theologians like to, to talk about and deep dive on because this idea of Jesus making himself nothing. What does that mean? Well, some would say that he poured out his divinity and he, as you continue to read, he was 100% man when he went to the cross. And others say, absolutely not. He was always 100% man, 100% divine. And, and he was pouring, the key here is where you land on that. It's a, it's a word called kenosis. It's about emptying out. It's about becoming nothing. It's about that pouring out. That's the key. How are we pouring ourselves out? Just like a painter would pour themselves out to paint a painting, yet the painter is still an individual. There is something about what we pour into this world that is beautiful, and it, it empties us. But he says this, he made, nothing, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. This, guys, this is, this is the key, is understanding that, man, the pattern is outward. The pattern for us and the key to remove that obstacle of me first is living in as a family and realizing that there are others that we are to do life with. And how do we do that? We humbly live our lives together as family that value each other above ourselves. Woo! Set the bar higher. That's crazy talk. But this is what we're called to. This is what we're called to, and this is why we have to fight for it, because there's so many things coming against us. Now, how do you practically play this out? How do you practically play this out? Well, number one, you could go to Haiti on a missions trip. That put others first, right? A little late for you on that. They're leaving Saturday, right? But you could do that. That would be an awesome opportunity. But you could also pray for our sisters that are going down there, that they, and then just commit to pray for them every day. Maybe you need to jot that down right now. Because part of our community, part of our family is going to Haiti. In June, we're going to have part of our family going to Kenya. Some of our brothers and sisters are going to go to Kenya. This is something that we can pray for. Um, actually, I'm going to have Sarah come on up. And I want her to just talk about this. Um, anybody notice the wall in the back? Yeah. Yeah. That happened. Anybody say like, hey, you just knocked the wall down not so long ago. Why'd you put one back up? Well, Sarah's going to talk about it for a second. Um, and I think it's going to be good. Because just like couches can move, so can walls. Um, I'm not on. It's my fault. There you Sorry. go. Now I'm on. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, when I, when I think about individualism and that first came up, I was like, I remembered when I was, when my kids were younger and someone said, um, is this for your four no more? And I was like, what? Yes? No? I don't know. I'm confused. And it started a journey for me of recognizing, um, I have a lot of opinions. That's a shocker to some of you. <laughs> a lot of opinions. I have a lot of, um, maybe even arrogance when it comes to like how how I think you know family should look and and what that how that plays out and um God just kind of turned my world upside down and I started really wrestling with is there only one right way for a family to look is there only one right way to do life um you know is going to work okay for a woman when she has children is um, having two working parents okay? Is being a single parent okay? Is there some like faith disconnect if a family doesn't look a certain way, or um, if there's you know financial difference between families? Does it mean that they're not walking in obedience? And there were just bombardment of these questions, and I think a lot of it was just God showing me I don't know anything. Turns out. <laughs> I have limited knowledge of what um, his ideal is. And that process has led me to love doing life with families and recognizing that we all look different. We all have a different story to tell. And it's in that difference that we see the beauty of God's kingdom. That we, we talk a lot about when we get to heaven, we're all going to look different. There's going to be a lot of you know, cultural differences. I don't think that we need to wait till heaven. I think that we're supposed to be bringing heaven to earth. Thy will be done. Kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It's, it's like now. So how do we do that? What does that look like for us to do life together here when we look different, when our stories are different, when culturally we might be different, when um, we might be at different income levels and we have different thoughts and we have different ideas about things? And I think the child care center, for me, is an awesome way for us to become less individualistic. Yeah, that's a word? Okay. And, and outward focused for us to be able to see we need to do life together. There's awesomeness in that. When we choose to say, hey, we're going to do this thing called life together, and we allow ourselves to grow, and we allow ourselves to be open to inviting people into our home, 
that's why second place is here, where it's not a selfish ambition. This is about us recognizing there's a world that needs to see Christ alive in our families, and we're going to invite them into our home. So a wall went up because we're trying to create some safety. Um, this is going to give us some safety on Sundays. Our kids' rooms are... Um, the last entry point for someone who might be an idiot. Um, and then it's also um, creating opportunities for us to open a child care center, for us to be able to say, okay, here's where we can have some classrooms that are um, safe and accessible. Um, we've got an awesome playground on paper. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. You wait and see. Um, so I think that you know, each week, hopefully, you're going to see more and more things. Like, you know, this gets filled up with, with life that happens for the church. But um, these walls aren't to be a barrier. They're actually creating opportunities. And that those rooms are going to start to look amazing. And we're going to create opportunities for our kids on Sunday to encounter a living and active God. Um, this whole Jesus first, home first, others first was not just... A random thought. It was a recognition that when we put Jesus in the right place and then we invite him into our home and we live that out, we have something to give to others. And so it's not about us just getting our home and making our families look great. It's about us recognizing that when we do that, people want to be a part of our family. They're excited to see what God's doing there and we invite them to the conversation. Good? Yeah. Love it. So it's part of the reason why this, this Sunday of all, like this weekend of all, is very important because of this idea that when we go outside these four walls, that we want to have the fidelity of what's happening inside these walls to be true, right? That we want to be moving in into this idea of living as a family because those folks are going to be looking at us and saying what's going on. And and we man, I'll tell you what, if you don't have like you don't get the vision of the child care center, you're like I don't get it. Why is that? Ask that girl, ask Sarah for her Shark Tank pitch, all right? And she will give it to you and you will be convinced at the end of that because it's such a vision thing for her and for us as a community. To really understand that, we, um, we have a whole community of people that need desperately to hear about Jesus. We've had meetings with DCFS. We've told them straight up, all of our curriculum is going to be faith-based. They're like, fine, no problem. We've talked to Amazon. We've been able to connect with Amazon. They said number, one of the number one issues we have with our, for our employees is them finding quality and trustworthy child care. And as we talked to them, they realized that we were opening this up, and they said, oh, my goodness, can you get more space, is what they said. <laughs> Ugh. And so here we sit thinking, oh, my goodness, it's only about what's in it for me. How do we get past that? Well, I'll tell you, there's an awesome thing. Why is that wall going up? Why is there Wi-Fi? Wi-Fi working today? I hope it is. You know, why are we live streaming right now? Hey, everybody, how you doing out there? We love you guys is because of the Thanksgiving offering and because you guys were unbelievably generous. And so the, that, those funds are what produce the ability to go live streaming on, on the internet now and to put these walls up and to begin to put the rooms together. And so the opportunity for you as a family is to begin to plan now for the Easter offering that's coming up in just a few weeks. Now you can pray again. It's been four months to say, okay, God, what is the next thing that we're going to do together? And we're going to support a global project, a local project, and a project here in the warehouse that's going to allow us to continue moving towards opening that childcare center. It's going to be awesome. So we're excited about that. But right now, if you're a part of 40 days, the 40-day giving challenge, you're, maybe you're saving a dollar a day. Bring that $40 and give that in that Easter offering. Maybe you're doing more than that. Whatever it is that you want to bring, but prayerfully consider what you can do as a family to see God move us from being inward focused to being outward focused. And the band can come up. Um, we uh, challenges for you. I have a couple more challenges for you, and that is this. Number one, um, I want you to understand kind of what a thought is that you maybe don't have, which is the idea that your family 
has a calling. Like a lot of times we feel like our family, like we have a calling personally, absolutely, but your family has a calling as well. That there is something as broken maybe or as crazy as your family may be, but your family has the ability to be Jesus to those that are outside. And as you think about that, I want you to stretch your theology a little bit to understand and see that what is it about our family that God has uniquely put us together and how are we to be a light in a dark world? That's the first challenge is to pray about that. You think about all the, 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 the ladies that were up here for Haiti. You know, the Penwit family has two kids going to Haiti. No parents going, but two kids. That's a, that's a part of the Penwit family, being a part of what God's doing in this world. That's a part of their calling. That's a part of them working that out. What is it for you? And then the second thing is, as a family, whether you're a single person or whether you've got family that's here today, is to prayerfully think through as many people as you possibly can that you can invite, that need to be invited this Easter to either the Case for Christ movie on March 25th or to our Good Friday service, which is going to be one hour long. It's going to be very cool, but it's also going to be very poignant. And then our Easter services where we're going we're gonna to celebrate those three services. This is the moment of the year. Christmas and Easter are some of the most opportunistic times when people are looking to find a church or to be in church on that weekend. And so those opportunities are there for you. I want you to write down as many names as you can and to pray for those names and to say, God, who is it that you want me to invite? Who is it that I need to invite to these things? that are going to be open. Maybe they're not open to have a conversation with you, but maybe they're open to see a movie. Maybe they're not open, into, open to coming to your house, but maybe they would be open to coming here. And I just want you to prayerfully think about that because here's what you're doing. You're beginning to live into your identity as a, a child of God. You are a part of a, you're a member of the household and you're to be outward focused. This, more than ever, man, is the time to be prayerfully doing that. So let's stand. And as we go to worship, we got to remember that it always starts with us. As much as we want to say, hey, let's get going. Let's have our families together. Let's get it together as a family here. Let's look at each other as brother and sister. It does start with someone leading out and saying, you know what? I'm going to lead out. I'm going to begin to be outward focused. So Heavenly Father, we pray, God, that as we sing, Lord, your word says that, Lord, that we are being built together to become a dwelling for you. And Lord, that is exactly what you're going to do in our praises. As we worship you, God, your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. So God, as we worship you, as we cry out, Lord, in one of the songs it says, you have shown us what a beautiful way you have shown us, God. The way that you've shown us is to how to unlock and move, remove the barrier of the me first attitude. To remove the blinders off of our eyes so that we can see others and value them. And to see the others in this room and those listening online that they are a part of our family. They're brothers and sisters with the same spirit and that we're to be like-minded. And when that happens, Lord, we can do anything because of your spirit that is within us. Lord, I pray right now as we sing that, that you would be glorified and that you would inhabit the praises of your people, Lord God, and that we would do whatever work we need to do individually, wherever we land in the spectrum of me first, Lord, that you would help us, Lord God, to do that work with you. Holy Spirit, we invite you into the room now. In Jesus' name. In the book of Genesis, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. And he says to his servant, when he's about ready to take his son up to the mountain, he says, my son and I are going to go up to worship. But he knew what he was going to do. He was going to sacrifice his son. And it's the first time the word worship is used in the Old Testament. And the law of first mention is a powerful thing. When God mentions something or something happens for the first time, there is extreme significance to it. And so sacrifice and worship are mentioned in the same context. <laughs> so true worship is when God oftentimes will ask us for ultimate sacrifice. I'm sure God loves our song and our singing, 
I love the worship, I love singing, but where is the greatest act of worship? Where does it happen? It's not in a song. It's in us selflessly giving ourselves to other people, looking not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. That is the greatest act of worship. When it's not about me, but it's about others. And when we do that, we are worshiping in a purest state, man, of selfless, right? When we're selfless. And so I just want to encourage you to be a part of what, there's probably lots of opportunities you can be a part of to give of yourself, to give sacrificially, to not just financially, time, all of that. The Children's Hunger Fund, having an opportunity to do that is us giving you an opportunity to do an act of worship, a selfless act of worship to help other people meet other people's needs, right? It's the only reason we do these service projects and we do things to help you facilitate you being a greater worshiper <laughs> for God. So March 14th and 24th, we got little, I don't know, posters in a variety of locations that you can see where you can register to help and do that. It's a Saturday and a, a Wednesday and, and it's a part of a greater plan, a greater plan in partnership with Children's Hunger Fund in which we'll be able to, through our acts of service, be able to partner with them and acquire packages of food that we can deliver to people that are needy in our area. They'll give us tons of packages to, to meet the needs of people that are hungry and poor and in need of help. And so, a greater goal. So we go with the challenge, right? To live, not just for ourselves, to live for God, meeting needs of others. Father, we, we thank you. Thank you for Abraham's example, Lord. He, he was being asked to give something that he loved so deep. His son, who he loved so deeply. What, what a challenge. But yet, he saw it as an act of worship. He saw that, that this was a, an offering to you. So, Lord, show us ways in which we can selflessly serve one another and others, Lord. Take this message out into the highways and the byways, Lord. And we, we ask it, we ask for your help in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you go.